A reading from Luke 17, 20 through 21. The kingdom of God cometh not with outward show, neither shall ye say, Lo here or lo there, for, alas, the kingdom of God is within you. It's one of the most powerful teachings in all of the Gospels. And yet, it's so hard to fully recognize and embrace that truth and embody it and realize it fully. You know, when I was young, one night I was up late and I was listening to some call-in Christian talk show. And I had just read The Kingdom of God is Within You, a book by Leo Tolstoy, that was a big inspiration to Gandhi. And I asked these guys on the Christian talk show, what does this verse mean? And they were like, well, thanks for calling, Clint. Uh, well, you know, uh, two things. The, the kingdom of God is within you comes first when, uh, well, it came first before you were. It came first when Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And it came, uh, the second kingdom comes uh, when you accept him as your Savior into your heart. Uh, thanks for your call, bud. And it was uh, it was kind of like that, you know. And um, I suppose that in a certain way that is the beginning for some people. And in a certain way of perceiving uh, for many, that could be a way that originally kind of lights the spark of the divine within you. And you realize you have some connection to something that is ultimately other than this world. But I think that those guys were definitely wrong, uh, ultimately, about about all of that. Um, I, don't, I don't think that's what the verse means at all. I think as you go into the contemplative space, what happens is, and there's some switch that needs to occur where the outer world is no longer the main focus of your being, but the inner world becomes the main focus. And that verse, the kingdom of God is within you, could become a catalyst to validate that, it could be a good catalyst to validate the contemplative life as being rooted in Scripture. I mean, those are the words of Jesus, and they're not just in the Gospel of Luke, they're in other Gospels, too. You know, if there's any validation for contemplative practice in Christianity, it's that. How do we find the God within? And many contemplative teachers will talk about going into that space within and using these practices as a way of accessing that and talking about the God within, the Christ within.
And they'll end up saying that, well, I've heard some say that once you access the God within and you realize there's also a God within, just like there's a God without, and accepting the God within doesn't mean there's not still an outside God. No. <laughs> no. That's not right. That's exactly what it means. It means that ultimately, and, and I, now I'm not talking like everybody's experience is completely invalid or not real or not an opening or not connecting with God, but but ultimately... If you really want to talk about, you know, what what is ultimately true, not not what's true in our fallen world and the temporal world uh, of space and time, but what's ultimately true, the God without does cease to exist, and it it it, it ceases to exist because what you find within, you realize, extends without. What you find within extends everywhere. What you find within is infinite. And that infinity is not bound to you. And that's the oneness. And in the Christian tradition, fully realizing that in the path is called divine union. But, I, you know, I think it's probably very few that get to any point like that. But if you're going on the contemplative journey in Christianity, then why not, why not just go ahead and start at the end? Why, why, why go through all the phases? Why don't you just start at, at what God ultimately is? And that's here now. That's here now. And we may not fully realize it. And even when we do fully realize it, there's lots of different layers and levels of fully embracing. God is here now. And to embrace that God is here now means that what was getting in your way, and in the Christian tradition that's called sin, or even original sin, what was getting in your way from fully realizing God here now is not the tool you should be using to locate God in the here now. And this sin that's getting in the way on a micro level of each individual is thinking. It's the mental noise. And it's everything that comes with that. 
and all the things that come with that that we're so attached to. All the ideas we have about other people, about the world, even about God, or about what we're supposed to do that day. All those thoughts and all of the mind that thinks those thoughts, that holds those beliefs, that attaches to them, and attaches to what we think we are, what we think our identity is, the mind that attaches to all of those things is an imperfect human mind, an imperfect fallen mind. That's original sin. So to transcend original sin, to transcend mind, to transcend thinking. And, and now, now when I'm saying like thinking is sin, I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that outward acts that are actually awful and horrendous and all the traditional ideas of sin aren't there too. That's all there. And, and yes, it's pretty brutal and it's pretty dark. That's all there. But it's going to start somewhere. And it's going to start in the mind. And it's going to start in our idea about ourselves, our whole psychological makeup. How conscious we are of it or not, to some degree, doesn't matter. Most of us have it, and we think it's valuable. And maybe it is necessary in some situations. But it's not the same faculty that perceives God. So perceiving God in the here now involves learning in your contemplative practice a mode of perception that does not involve mind. A mode of awareness or perception. A mode of being that simply does not involve mind or thinking or even your personal identity and all the things that go with that. A mode of being that in a sense is nameless and faceless and thoughtless, especially thoughtless. But the way of getting out of thoughts, well, it, I'm not necessarily sure it's even possible to completely get out of thoughts. So it's not really a matter of slowing your mind down. You can slow your mind down, and contemplative practices and meditation helps you slow your mind down. But ultimately, that direct perception of God in the here and now isn't going to come through slowing your thoughts down enough. It's going to become, it's going to come through a different channel altogether. There's a channel that's the stream of thoughts, and you can slow it down, and you can, you know, feel better, decrease stress, 
feel great, actually. I mean, all sorts of research on how meditation and prayer and contemplative practice helps you physiologically. But the point's not to slow down that stream of thoughts. The point is, if you want a direct perception of God, to just not even worry about that stream of thoughts. To perceive some other way. To not even use it. It's like having one muscle versus another muscle. It's like you have the thinking muscle, the mind muscle, and then you have some sort of attention that doesn't seem to quite involve anything that has to do with mind or belief or even yourself or identity. And that's the gateway. That's the gateway. Where the kingdom of God is both within you and without you. And there's no longer a within or without. And in a sense, the whole universe seems both within. Well, the whole universe seems within at that point. And you seem to have expanded to the whole universe. That's probably more accurate. So if there's one takeaway, I suppose, from all of this, it could be, how can you perceive, how can you be aware? Is it a muscle? How does it feel? What is it? How can you perceive the great here now, which is the doorway to God? How can you perceive this without mind, without thinking? That's the key. And the other thing I will leave you with is this. You know, Thomas Keating will talk and, and other other good monks that, that talk about contemplative prayer will talk about things in terms where our deepest true self, our deepest authentic self, is really almost the same as, you know, the Christ within or the God within. Uh, and and traditionally, Christianity will also talk about, you know, the Holy Spirit being within. Or once you accept Jesus, Jesus is deep within forever and you can never get him out. And a lot of people have that experience. They may not even like church anymore, but for some reason they keep, like, tuning into their heart. And they're like, wow, Jesus is still there. So strange how that happens. But if there's a divine spark, and let's just call it that, however you understand it, whatever member of the Trinity, you know, uh, speaks to you the most, I guess, whatever your favorite is, uh, you know, um, maybe, maybe that's what's looking out of your eyes all the time. Maybe that's the Holy Spirit looking through your eyes. If you think about all your experiences, what seems to be looking through your eyes? Is it you? Or is it something else? What exactly is that looking through your eyes? 
Does it seem different at some times than others? Could it be the Holy Spirit looking through your eyes? Your whole life. It never seemed to go away, did it? Like it was always kind of there. There was always something more than you that you could put, you couldn't put into words looking through your own eyes. I am that I am. Is that the I am looking through your eyes? Is that God looking through your own eyes? It's just something to think about. It's going to hit everybody a little different, and maybe it'll help some, and maybe it'll become a hindrance to some. I'm not sure. But it's definitely something that can give you different modes of perception.